All right, we're going to read Jeremiah 3 today. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Look up to the barren heights and see, is there any place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me? My father, my friend from my youth, will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immortality, immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer. For I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favours to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord. For I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you... Shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days, when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord. People will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honour the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the people of Judah will join the people of Israel, and together they will come from a northern land to the land I give your ancestors as an inheritance. I myself said, How gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel, because they have perverted their ways and forgotten the Lord their God. Return, faithless people, I will cure you of backsliding. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the adulterous uh, commotion of the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is a salvation of Israel. 
From our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our ancestors' labour, their flocks and herds, their sons and daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God, both we and our ancestors, from our youth till this day. We have not obeyed the Lord our God. Well, welcome to HPC. I'm one of the Daves here at HPC and my family have been watching this Netflix show at home called Never Have I Ever. I don't know if you've uh, watched this, but it's billed as a comedy about a nerdy teenager named Devi, who's a social outcast. She has this strict Indian mother and there's lots of things she has never done in life. And in particular in the story, she's never had a boyfriend or kissed a boy, but she pines for this hot jock named Paxton. And as far as I can tell, Paxton's role is to randomly take off his shirt during the show. And he, at the start, he doesn't even know that Devi exists, but as things develop, he ends up kissing Devi. And she's giddy with excitement at this new relationship. But then the story continues to develop, and she ends up kissing a different boy named Ben. And so the big question in the, um, in the show is, will Devi persevere with Paxton, or is she going to switch her affections to Ben? And she even draws up this pro-con list to compare the two boys, and she chooses, well, both of them. She attempts to date both boys without either of them knowing until they do discover she's cheating on them, and then it all blows up in her face. And the story really is about how Devi starts out in love, but she doesn't last the distance. And neither did I, actually. I tapped out of the show at that point, um, and my family continued. But in today's passage, Jeremiah likens Israel to Devi. They've started off in love with God, but they don't last the distance. They end up cheating on God. And so today I want us to, I want to ask the question for us, will you be like Israel? Or will you last the distance with Jesus? Now, you might have started off excited to follow Jesus, but will you remain steadfast in your love for him? Or will you give up on him? Now, I know some of us may actually be feeling this very strongly today. You know, God feels very distant from us and we feel like we're barely holding on by our fingernails. And I want to say Jeremiah has a word of hope for you today, if that's where you're at. But others of us, well, the question may seem purely academic for us. Of course we're going to persevere. Our spiritual life's humming. And well, Jeremiah has a word of warning for you today. Because God's people, Israel, they started off well. So in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, we're told, This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, so God recounts the day where he married his people Israel. He'd set his heart on them. He'd rescued them from slavery and oppression in Egypt. He'd led them to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, he committed himself to loving them like a husband. He promised to protect them and provide for them and give them a new home to enjoy with him. And, and on that day, Jeremiah remembers, Israel were devoted to God. They're like an excited bride on their wedding day. They loved God. They were committed to steadfastly loving him, just like God loved them. And then things went pear-shaped. 
So Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens. Shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That the Lord God, he's the God who's the spring of living water, the source, the everlasting source of life. That's how he describes himself. And he's steadfastly loved his people over the years. He's poured out his blessings of them. He's given, his, given them life just as he promised his people. He's satisfied them over and over again. And, but Israel, they've been unfaithful in their love to God. They've exchanged the living God for idols. They've ex- transferred their affections to other gods. And God's astonished by their unfaithfulness. Uh, I mean, I've seen footy fans show more loyalty to their team than Israel does to God. Israel say they love him, but it's all a pretense. In their hearts, they're no longer devoted to him. And so we read there in Jeremiah, some of them, they've become disillusioned and discouraged. They're surrounded by hostile and powerful enemies. They're suffering financial hardship. They feel alone and they're scared and they're overwhelmed. And they just want a different life. Others in Israel, well, they're discontent and dissatisfied. They've been blessed by God, but they're taking these good things for granted and they feel like they deserve them and they want more and more and more of them. And God is the one they see as stopping them getting what they want. They view God like my dog sees me when we go for a run. God is the hindrance on the end of the leash, stopping them from roaming free and enjoying themselves. And so God wanted them to be generous and care for the poor, but they wanted to exploit the vulnerable and ignore their needs. God wanted his people to be people of truth, even when it cost them. His people were willing to lie and deceive to get ahead. God wanted his people to live life his way. They no no longer trust him to give them the good life. And so they turn a deaf ear to his word and they forsake God. And they start looking elsewhere for life. They look to broken cisterns that cannot hold water, to false gods who cannot satisfy. And what Israel does is head down the path to spiritual adultery. So in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6, we're told, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel have done? She's gone up on every high hill, under every spreading tree, and committed adultery there. So Jeremiah here, he labels a spade a spade. He he calls their idolatry with other gods adultery, spiritual adultery. They've sought out other gods. They've travelled over the countryside, gone up on hills and under trees to worship other gods, to love other gods, hoping these gods will bless them. And they've shared with other gods what they should only give to the true God, their worship, their love, their hearts. And they break their promises to God and portray God because they've pursued their desires. And they've made the series of decisions over the, over the time that have led them down a path to committing adultery with other gods. Now that's the nature of adultery. 
We don't just wake up one day and decide, today I'm going to commit adultery. What happens is our desires lead us to take a series of steps, innocuous steps, that lead us down a path away from our spouse towards adultery. And we can really think of this path to adultery as engaging, involving four stages, that we disengage from our spouse emotionally. I mean, we still love them. We're just not as devoted to them as we used to be. We're not willing to sacrifice ourselves for them because we no longer think they're worth it. And maybe a marriage isn't how we hoped it would be. Maybe uh, we feel like we're being taken for granted. But whatever the case, we subconsciously start looking elsewhere and suddenly we notice someone else. And we make an extra effort to look good around them and then we seek to engage with them publicly. Everything looks above board, but in our hearts, their hearts have started to wander and we look for excuses to connect with them. We seek them out at public, public events, contact them via phone to talk about life, to talk about work. But we start, it's, it's exciting and flattering and we feel alive again and so we start doing things privately with them. We move to sharing more personal, intimate things with them. We start lying to keep the relationship secret and begin touching and kissing. And before we know it, we're committing adultery. And our unfaithful hearts have led us to unfaithful acts. Now, if you want to think more about this, explore this process more, there's actually a link uh, below to an article by one of our pastors, Richard, really worth reading, um, just to uh, warn ourselves not to walk down this path. But Israel's walked down this path to spiritual adultery. They've emotionally disengaged with God. They've wanted a different life. They're dissatisfied uh, with their life. And that leads them to seek a better life. And they seek out other gods and commit adultery with other gods. And their unfaithfulness has serious consequences. So Jeremiah 3 verse 8. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. See, God here, he's sickened by his people's unfaithfulness. And he declares, that's it, I'm done, I'm done. Your hearts are far from me, you're faithless, you've betrayed me. And so God acts to end his relationship with his people. He divorces the 10 northern tribes of Israel and banishes them from his home. He cuts them off from him, cuts them off from the good life that he gives and divorces them. And despite this, the two southern tribes of Judah see it, but they've gone out and copied Israel's unfaithfulness. And so how will God treat Judah? This unspoken threat hangs in the air that Jeremiah is warning Judah that if God divorced Israel, then God will divorce you too. See, God's declaring here that adultery is a big deal. Adultery has consequences. Our world, our world might glorify adultery, but in real life, adultery has consequences. Adultery almost always leads to divorce. So you think about it. Think about the impact uh, of adultery. It creates this big tangle of emotions, doesn't it? 
grief and loss and failure, feeling angry and foolish that I gave myself to my spouse, sacrificed myself for my spouse, and I wasn't enough for them. They lied and deceived me and took advantage of my openness and honesty, and they loved someone else, were intimate with someone else, shared with someone else what they should only give to me, and they broke their promises to me and betrayed me. It's no wonder it ends in divorce. And then friendship circles are broken and kids are cut off from parents and grandparents and adultery is never a little indiscretion. It is never just an affair. Adultery is evil. Adultery is wrong. Adultery has consequences. And I know that this will hit a raw nerve for some of us this morning. And may raise questions about divorce and remarriage, we'd really love to discuss this with you. Send a text to the phone number in the, in the live stream and we'll get in contact with you. If you particularly want to talk to me, just type Dave and I'll give you a call. But God is saying adultery has consequences and he's saying spiritual adultery has consequences. He is passionately devoted to us. And he is grieved when we say he's not good enough. He is angry when we're unfaithful to him. And he will divorce us if we're unfaithful. He will banish us from his presence for eternity and leave us with no hope of life in him. And so we need to heed God's warning today. Wherever we're at, however we're feeling, we need to listen to God. We need to stop and ponder. Do not wander from God and be unfaithful to him. Do not walk down the path to spiritual adultery. So just take a moment to think and ask yourself, has your devotion to God diminished? Are you feeling disillusioned or discontent? Have you stopped listening to God on particular issues? And are you looking elsewhere to be satisfied? A different life, a better life, a life where you can do as you please. How are you feeling the pressure to give up? Because our Lord and Creator is saying unfaithfulness has eternal consequences. He will punish us. He will cut us off from life, for the best life, from the everlasting life that He gives. But, but that is not all God has to say. Because God's last word is is a word of forgiveness. Look down to Jeremiah 3, verse 12. Go proclaim this message towards the north. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord, and I'll frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I'll be, not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You've rebelled against the Lord your God. Now, these are astonishing words, aren't they? God commands Jeremiah to go after his divorced people and invite them home, like the mother duck going over the hills. He will no longer frown or be angry with them because he is faithful. His people might be faithless, but he is faithful. He is kind and he continues to steadfastly love his people despite his anger and grief. See, God is a God who doesn't delight in punishing people. He's not a God who wants to make his people suffer. He's a God who promises to show mercy to undeserving people, to welcome them home. 
that he will forgive their lukewarm convictions and unfaithfulness and give them a fresh start with him. This is our God. This is the God who loves you. That if you're wandering from him, he says, come back. If you've been unfaithful to him, he says, come home, own your guilt and ask him to take you back. And he will, no matter what you've done in life, no matter how far you feel from God today, God declares he's not given up on you. He will welcome you with open arms because he is the God of steadfast love and mercy. And our Lord Jesus repeats this wonderful promise. So look forward, turn forward in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, Jesus repeats the call of his father, the invitation of his father. Come home, enjoy life with God. That Jesus, he says, he's not this harsh and oppressive ruler. He doesn't want to exploit us or use us. He doesn't delight to judge us or punish us. He's the gentle and humble Lord who cherishes us. He's the Lord who sacrifices his own interests and gave his life on the cross for you. He's the Lord who frees us from our burden of guilt and sin, who promises us rest, peace, forgiveness from our God. He's the good Lord who will give you life. Now, Jesus here, he's not saying that he's going to make you H-A-P-P-Y. He's not saying that he'll make our life carefree now. He's not saying that we can do whatever we want in life. No, he's our Lord who will rule us and direct us in the way that he thinks is best for us. And so what he's saying is we can entrust him with our worries and anxieties. We can give him our guilt and shame and he will give us life instead. The best life, the life that satisfies where he enables us to know God's care and God's tenderness and God's provision and God's protection, that he will give us everlasting life with the God of steadfast love and mercy. And who wouldn't want to come to this Lord? Who wouldn't want to be yoked to this Lord? He's worth loving, isn't he? He's worth continuing to love because he is good and kind and faithful to us. And that is far more wonderful than anything else we can love in life. And so what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus says, come to him and he will give us life with our Father. And for some of us listening today, we know that it's going to involve making some big radical changes at the core of our life. For some of us, we don't yet know Jesus as our Lord. We don't yet know the peace that he brings and we know that we still have to come to him to get this life. And so let me invite you to investigate if Jesus is worth turning your life upside down. Let me invite you to investigate whether you should, whether Jesus is worth coming to. And if that's something you want to do, then just text the word life to the number in the live stream and we'll contact you and help you begin to explore what life with Jesus looks like. But for others of us, we already know Jesus as our Lord. We've come to him. We've come to him to receive this life and it may involve some big changes still in terms of priorities and uh, things that we're doing in our life. But a lot of the time, what it means involves is just like any other relationship. Growing in our love for Jesus will mean doing little things every day. 
from little things, big things grow. Little by little, we seek to build a relationship with Jesus where we love him more and more each day. Little things every day. And so let me give you three steps to take to kindle your love for Jesus, to encourage you to remain faithful to Jesus, to grow in your love for Jesus. And the first one is, well, talk to God in prayer. Relationships grow by talking, don't they? And so talk to God. In particular, ask God to change you. Ask God to increase your desire to know Jesus and love Jesus and to fill your heart with joy because you know him as your Lord. And God loves to answer that type of prayer. The second thing to do is listen to God by reading the Bible. His word's powerful. That's how God speaks to us and changes us. And so read his word and remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of his compassion and his kindness and his steadfast love. Remind yourself that he's committed to you. Read his word and remind yourself of what God has done for you, especially his grace in the cross. Read his word and remind yourself of his wonderful promises to you. The amazing, everlasting future that you're going to enjoy with him because of Jesus. Let God teach you that he can be trusted. Let God teach you that he is worth loving. And finally, spend time together with him. Gather with him and his people. God says church is the best thing for us. He gives us each other so we'll be in a community, an encouraging community, a community where people are excited to join us and people are sad to leave us because we encourage each other to stick with Jesus, to hold on to Jesus. And we'll do that in two ways. We, we honestly and openly speak the truth of Jesus to one another and we deeply and wholeheartedly love one another and express his, Jesus' love to each other. That we remind each other of Jesus' goodness and we enable each other to taste the goodness of him. And so we spur each other on to love Jesus more and love each other more. And look, and I know at the moment that can be hard for some of us. Doing church online is just hard. Uh, not just on a Sunday, but during the week. It's just hard. And I know some of us don't really want to be involved with God's people because God's people have let us down. I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. But if you try to go alone, you will feel more alone and distant from God and you will drift away from him. God gives us each other. So trust him when he says gathering with his people is good and invest in the life of his people. And that a couple of things, to, ways to do that. Plan, plan to come, plan to gather with his people. It's difficult to engage with God's people and invest in their lives if you're not present. Just simply turning up is encouraging for others because it says to us that we matter to you and you want, to be, you want to love us and then seek to be involved with these people. Invest time and energy into getting to know people and loving them and each week just look for one way you can love someone that you can show God's love to one person. It might be you phone someone this week and touch base with how they're going. It might be you think of one practical thing you could do for someone might be that you seek to encourage them spiritually and pray. Pray for each other. Um, now, I think one key way we can be doing this at the moment is seeking to be gracious and gentle to one another. We're all under pressure. 
I know we're tired and we're stressed and homeschooling uh, is going on, which is particularly hard if you've got younger kids. Um, my older child, I think at the moment, he's studying a subject in uh, funny memes. Uh, that seems to be what he spends his time with homeschooling. But homeschooling is stressful and there's uh, Zoom meetings are just exhausting. And when we're worrying, we're all these worries, particularly about worrying about bringing COVID home into uh, our household and um, making others sick. And when we're under this pressure, it's easy to judge others, isn't it? It's easy to criticize others for the decisions and actions and to speak harshly to others or to gossip about them and criticize them behind their back. And that is so discouraging. Let's strive to be a people who are gracious and kind like our Lord Jesus, who are quick to show concern and quick to listen and quick to love like our Lord loves us. And so as an aside, this is like, can I encourage you not to be quick to judge your growth group leaders at the moment? Look, I, I know it's frustrating for us as our groups go online and Zoom's exhausting and some groups have had to change the time they meet and the, the decisions our leaders are making, they can be inconvenient for us or painful for us and make our life difficult, but they are seeking to make the best decisions for our groups in trying circumstances. Let's not make their life difficult and opt out or um, be resistant to the changes they're making. Let's work to assume the best of our growth group leaders and seek to be as flexible as possible so they can actually help your group gather and love each other and learn more about our Lord Jesus. Now, I know these are obvious steps to take to love Jesus more. Talking to God, listening to God, meeting with God. I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? But when we're tired and when we're cut off and when pressures of life and stresses are pushing in on us and they swallow our desire and energy to actually do these things. And we just want to bunker down, shut out the world. That's why we need to resolve to take these steps, to prioritise them. That's why we need each other, to encourage each other, to keep holding on to Jesus. And to speak into our lives and warn us not to be complacent. Speak into our lives and encourage us to stick with Jesus even when it's hard. May we be a community where we grow to love Jesus more and more. Where we enable others to taste his love through us. Where we remain faithful to our faithful God.